0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. This morning we're in Acts chapter 15. Um, We'll be reading Acts 15 to 1 to 35. Uh, To catch you up on where we've been in Acts, uh, the past several chapters of Acts have been following Paul and Barnabas on what's called Paul's first missionary journey. When he went from Antioch and he kind of went through a number of cities in the Mediterranean sharing the good news of Jesus. And one of the things we saw, some of the things we saw there were the supremacy of God. We saw many Gentiles turning to faith um, and we saw a lot of opposition. And so this combination of the the opposition we saw in the past few chapters was opposition from those who didn't believe in Jesus. Those who were opposed to the message of Jesus, the, the traditional Jewish leaders. Uh, in chapter 15, we're going to run into a major conflict, but this time it is a conflict among Christians, among Jesus followers. And so that's important to realize that the groups here, uh, even though there is there is a Jewish-Gentile issue going on, these are Jews who have become followers of Jesus. These are not those who are opposed to Jesus, who are skeptical of his claim to be the Messiah or anything like that. They're simply Jewish, and they're struggling with the number of Gentiles that are becoming followers of Jesus as well. And so it leads to a conflict. Um, and so what we get to see here is we get to see the conflict that happens and how the church goes about resolving it. And it's worth noting uh, that this, what's known as the Jerusalem Council that we'll read about, is actually really important for us as Presbyterians. Our Resurrection Community Church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America, part of the one of the, the foundational uh, frameworks for our system of church government comes from this chapter in Acts. I mention that because I'm not going to mention it again, uh, because that's not really the point of Acts for us this morning, uh, but it's not, and it wasn't really the point of Luke when he wrote this to found Presbyterian church government, but it's worth noting that that's, uh, that is does come from here when we try to figure out how to organize our churches. The other thing to realize as we read this is that there's clearly a sense in Acts chapter 15 that the Jews are the, the, the Jewish Christians are kind of the, the home team in a sense. They're the ones who've always been there and they are seeking to welcome Gentiles in. And so as we think about this and we apply it to our current situation, uh, to our current, our contemporary situation, we have to realize that when we talk about different cultures in the church today, that none of us are really equivalent to the Jews. We are all Gentiles. So as we make application for, we are mostly, most all of us are Gentiles. And so as we make application from back then to today, we have to realize that as we apply it, we are extending the message of God's grace, but we aren't playing exactly the same roles as they did back then. So with that uh, kind of preliminary, let me read Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 35. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained at Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that you would take this word and sink it deep into our hearts, that it may change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen words of the Declaration of Independence open up with those stirring words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those stirring words were, were the birth of the United States as a nation. And we, we stirred. but they've endured because, because they're true. Because those words were not just something that Thomas Jefferson came up with himself. But they're part of the common grace of God, the testimony of God in the world. To say that these things are true. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created by God. Created equal with certain rights. The problem comes as we look at, uh, at American history that we have not always lived up to the ideals of our Declaration of Independence. Even from the very beginning, there was perhaps more, um, more recognition that all men were created equal and a certain lack of recognition of women being created equal. And even after a, a few years after they wrote that uh, declaration, they went on to enshrine in the Constitution that certain persons could only be counted as three-fifths of a person. And so it has gone throughout the history of America, uh, which for all its good is, is the history of human people. And we do good things in uh, that reflect the image and glory of God, and at the same time, there's a lot of mixed things in there. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of hardship. And we recognize that's 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 part of being human. And it's not something that's limited to America. It's something that goes all the way back here to Acts. We see this. This is what we see in Acts chapter 15. We see the rejoicing. We see people coming into the kingdom of God, the glory of bringing the nations together as Jesus had commanded his disciples from the beginning, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And there's great rejoicing as all the people start to come in, the Gentiles come in, the nations, the ends of the earth come to know. And yet, what what comes up then? Well, could they be like us? That's really what the Pharisees were saying. And keep in mind, these are the believers. These are not opposed to Jesus, not opposed to the church, just by background. They were Pharisees, and they said, hey, we'd love all these Gentiles to come in, and we would like them to become Jews. We would like them to be circumcised. We would like them to keep all the requirements of the law. And and I think when we're honest, we get it. We, We get along better when people are more like us, when we understand what everybody's doing, when things feel comfortable. So all of us have this desire for people to be like us. And often, like the Pharisees, we can take our our cultural senses, our cultural understandings, and we put a theological spin on them. I'm sure the Pharisees did not say, hey, we want everybody to culturally be just like us. They said, no, this is is God's law. This is the way it is supposed to be. But we see from the council that, that they weren't right that the circumcision and keeping the whole law of Moses for the new community, for the followers of Jesus, was what had become a matter of culture and a matter of tradition. Jesus did not command his disciples to go out and teach everybody about him and then be circumcised. He commanded them to go and make disciples and then be baptized. He said nothing about them needing to be circumcised. He even specifically said that all foods were clean. And that they were not bound to keep the food laws anymore. So the the, the, the believers, the Jewish believers and from the Pharisees party here were, they may have been putting a, a, a theological spin on it, thinking, right uh, thinking in their minds that they are right, but ultimately they were trying to make everybody the same as them, wanting everybody to follow the same culture. But the great truth here that we see in Acts 15 is God's grace. Perhaps the most important verse here is verse 11 in Peter's speech, but we will be, be we but we believe that we will that they will we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. That the fundamental defining mark of the new community of Jesus followers is to be saved by grace, not by cultural markers not by obedience to the law. Because Peter points out that they weren't able to do it. The Jewish people had never been able to keep the law perfectly. One of the things you see as you look back through the Old Testament, you read the law first, and then you read the rest of the story, and you're like, did they ever do these things? And you find you're actually, no. They didn't even keep circumcision all that well for parts of their history. They didn't keep the Sabbath very well. They didn't keep the festivals. They didn't keep the love for their neighbor, their love for their poor they weren't able to keep the law. That's what Peter is saying. He said in verse 10, neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. So let's not put it on them either because we are community saved by grace. So the great truth here of Acts 15 is that we become part of God's family by God's grace and that God extends his grace to all kinds of different people. And because God has extended his grace to all kinds of different people and we are all saved by his grace, then we must seek the unity of his people. It would have been easy here for the the early Christians to say, well, we'll just go our different ways. We'll have the Jewish church over here. We'll have the Gentile church over here. We'll just do our different things. But they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to get together and we're going to work it out. First, they debated it between it back in verse Uh, Two, Paul and Barnabas were debating with those who were teaching that they must be circumcised. And then that debate did not resolve things, so they went down to Jerusalem. They gathered up all the leaders of the church, the apostles and the elders, and said, we are going to work this out, to come to one accord, that we may be a unified church. Jesus had called his followers to unity. One of his last prayers for them before he died was that they may all be one. And here the church is living out that call to unity. And so the calling of Acts for us is to recognize the grace of God, to recognize that it's for all people, and to actively seek the unity of God's people. That's hard to do. And so fortunately, there's this model here. We can see three specific things is under the, the heading of God's grace for us, God's grace for all kinds of people, under the heading of knowing that we must seek unity that it is worth the effort. We can see three ways that we go about that. First, that we must align with God's word. Second, we must listen to the experience of others. And third, we must make sacrifices for the sake of others. So we align with God's word, we listen to others' experience, and we make sacrifices for the sake of one another. The, the aligning with God's word is what we're going to put first. In the text it comes a little bit later. It comes after they hear the experience. but did you notice what happened? the, the, the flow here the, the, the Pharisees stated their case, they must be circumcised. There was some debate. Peter gave his experience. Paul and Barnabas shared their experience. and then James speaks. Verse 13, James replied, James appears now to be the leader of the uh, 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 the leader or a leader of the Jerusalem church. And his words carry a lot of weight. And what does James reply with? He says, listen to me. What they've said, what Peter has said, what Paul and Barnabas have said, it agrees with the words of the prophet. He is aligning them to God's word. And that's what settles the debate. There's no more debate after it. After he reads this quotation uh, that says that the Gentiles will come in along with the restoring of the people of Israel, He speaks his judgment, and it's done. They have aligned themselves to God's word. And so we have to, while he ends the debate with that, we take that as our starting point. And we take it as our starting point precisely because it was his final word. It was the ending of the debate. So when we start getting into these these issues that are unclear, that are uncertain, that we're not sure which way we should go on, that we're listening to different experiences and being challenged of them, The fundamental rock is that we must be aligned to God's word. We must be founded on God's word. Otherwise, we have nothing to stand on. Have you ever tried playing tug of war in a mud pit? I have a memory of this from my days back at camp. Let me tell you that tug of war in a mud pit, uh, it doesn't go very far. Because nobody can get a grip. And everybody's just pulling and trying to grab hold. They're just sliding all over the place. And you're trying to pull people to your side. And you have nothing to hang on to. And so, yeah, maybe somebody makes some progress. Maybe somebody wins in the end. But mostly, you all just get muddy. And that's kind of what happens when we try to figure things out, when we seek unity without being aligned to God's Word. Is we end up just kind of pulling each other around in a mud pit. And everybody gets muddy. But instead, what happens if you drop some rocks into that pit? Some big, solid rocks. Now you have something to grab hold to, something to anchor your feet to, something that you can pull with. But even better, if instead of trying to just pull everybody to your side, you take those rocks and you stand on them to pull one another up and out of the mud pit. And this is what happens when we align ourselves to God's word. We get the solid rock. The foundation of the grace of God that we find in his word. The truths of Jesus and his death and resurrection. His commands that we can obey. His promises that we can fulfill. And then working together, we climb our way out of the mud pit into a place of unity. Because we're standing on the rock aligned to God's word. So it means we've got got to love the word. We've got to read the word but we've got to read it together with one another. Because as we, as we listen to one another, as we listen to the experiences of one another, we, we can understand the word better. Other people's experiences do not change the word of God, but they do help us see things that maybe we hadn't seen before. There's a lot here. And sometimes when we read it by ourselves, we miss it. We actually see that's what was happening To these jewish believers from the party of the pharisees they were looking at god's word and they saw that everybody needed to be circumcised and they were missing that that was not the intention for the new community they were missing that in bringing gentiles in in the teaching of jesus he had put away circumcision as the mark of god's people and he had made god's people into a new people no longer bound by these cultural markers of circumcision of how they ate, of how they dressed, but bound together by his grace. And so in the same way, we need to read the word of God with other people, person to person, and also listening to people from different backgrounds. It's amazing as you think, even as we've gone through Acts, hopefully you've seen God's passion through Acts for bringing different groups of people together, bringing people together across cultural lines and barriers. But I will tell you, that I did not always see those things in Acts. I could read Acts just as just as stories, just as the, the seeing people turning to Jesus and not realizing what role cultural barriers were playing in that. I needed my eyes to be opened by other people, seeing the way that they read and said, you know what? You're right. That is what's there. This is a big part of Acts. This is a big part of Romans. This is a big part of Ephesians. My goodness, this is a big part of everything in the Bible. And so we need to have our eyes opened to, as we read the Bible together. And to do that, we have to listen, honestly, to the experiences of other people. It's fascinating here in Acts that how much they do listen to experience. They could you can imagine kind of the alternate situation where there comes just as the, as the formal theological question, Are we still bound to keep the law of Moses? Must we be circumcised? And, and just just debating it in philosophical terms, theological terms, this text versus that text. But what do we see? We see a high value placed on experience. Peter says, listen, this is what happened. This is what God did. This is what God showed me. And then Barnabas and Paul relate what signs and wonders God did through through them among the Gentiles. They listen to the experience. Why? because it changes their perspective. It allows them to see the word rightly. Again, it doesn't change the word. The word does not change. The word is the rock that we must align ourselves to, to God's truth. But sometimes we need to change the way that we see it. We realize that we were wrong, that we were missing something. And so we have to listen to the experiences of others. I don't know if you've seen uh, those pictures. I've seen a couple pictures out there recently, uh, particularly on the issue of of crowds and whether things are crowded and um or, or whether people are keeping their proper social distance. And so it's it's fascinating that some people have taken different pictures of the same situation and showing how depending on your angle it can look like there's a huge crowd lined up or that people are spaced 6 feet apart. And so our our vision of what is reality is greatly affected by the perspective and how you are looking at it. If you look at that line of people straight on, it looks like there's a crowd. And what is this crowd doing? But if you look at them from a side, they're all spaced out properly, keeping their distance. Our perspective matters. And in matters of life and death, and matters of understanding the Bible, we gain our perspective from listening to other people. So we have to seek those out. That's why it's important. I, I, I linked a tweet um, in my Resurrection Weekly from Micah Edmondson. Mike Edmondson is actually an Orthodox Presbyterian pastor, though he's, he's coming into our denomination, the PCA, uh, this summer. But he, uh, he put this, this quote on Twitter. Uh, he put this out. He says, My wife is often afraid for me to go out at night. He's a black pastor. Is often afraid for me to go out at night because she knows that many other people will not see, me, see a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor and a PhD in systematic theology, but they may only see a threat. And for some of us, we hear that and we're like, really? Is that how it is? But it's we need to listen to that. We need to hear that experience. Listen to that reality. And sometimes to do that, we need to seek out other voices who are different from us. We need to seek out voices who can give us different perspective on life, on their experiences, and listen to them. Again, we're aligned to God's Word. Somebody else's experience of what does not mean what they're saying That the rest of what they're saying is the right thing for us to do, but we need to listen and understand their experiences. And the other part of that, if we're going to listen to it, we also have to consider how our words make other people feel safe or not to share. If we are too quick with our opinions, too quick with our retort, too quick with our cynicism, then we are not creating the environment to listen to other people where they will feel comfortable sharing their experiences. So we have to think about that carefully, especially if we are part of a dominant culture in a group, in a church. We have to be aware of our words, aware of how, what we are welcoming other people into. The Jerusalem Council listened. They listened to the concerns of the Jewish, the Jewish party. They listened to the experience of Peter. They listened to the experience of Paul. They welcomed in all these experiences. So we align ourselves to God's word. We listen to the experience of others. These are key parts in seeking the unity of his community, of his body. But did you notice then where it ended? It's, it's fascinating. The Pharisees' claim that they should be, that the Gentiles must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses is roundly rejected. At no point does Peter, James, Paul, anybody say, Yeah, you know what, you're, you're right. We they can do that. I said, No, they do not need to be circumcised, they do not need to keep the law of Moses. And then it turn around. Say we should not trouble those of the Gentiles, but tell them, abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. And you can read that and say, wait, isn't aren't those parts of the law of Moses? Like, aren't they laying some requirements on them? So why? James, in, in good biblical fashion, they don't really explain why they chose these four things. But as we reflect on it, and as you as you many other people have said this, as you look at different resources and different people's thoughts at it, the, the main thing here are the food laws. Things polluted by idols, what has been strangled, and from blood. Not circumcision. Circumcision was what the Pharisees were pushing. They said, no, they don't need to be circumcised. That's fine. But the food laws, which we would often think of as things, really, do they really have to keep those? And the answer, especially as we look through what Paul says later in the New Testament, is No. There is no moral obligation to keep these food laws. It says, whatever you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So why? And the why is for the sake of fellowship, for the sake of unity. What the the apostles and elders are calling the Gentiles to make sacrifices for the sake of unity with their Jewish brothers. So he goes on to say "From ancient generations, verse 21, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him. There are Jews everywhere. And so to the Gentile brothers, they say, look, you're going to be one body. And if you want to be one body for people who've spent all their lives observing these food laws, it is right for you to give some things up. These burdens are not too much for you to give up these, uh, the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. That's been strangled and blood. And then you can eat together with your Jewish brothers and sisters. And so just as the the Gentiles back then were called to make some sacrifices for the sake of their Jewish brothers and their culture and tradition. And at the same time, the Jewish brothers were making some sacrifices too. They were giving up the expectation that everybody was going to be the same, that everybody was going to be circumcised. Everybody was going to buy into the same background. We too are called to consider what we must give up for the sake of unity. What of our own rights that we can sacrifice? Say, you know what? I do not need to lay hold to this. I do need not need to hold tightly to my ways of doing church, to my assumptions about what all Christians must do. I, sometimes I'm going to make myself uncomfortable and put myself in situations where I don't feel as comfortable or I don't recognize what's going on. I'm going to sing some songs that are not my favorite songs to sing. Other times I might sing my favorite songs. And sometimes I'm going to sing songs that I don't love, and I'm going to seek to love them more for the sake of my brothers and sisters that we can worship together because we recognize that our salvation comes from the grace of God. Again, that most important verse, verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. It is the grace of God that saves us. It is not how we act. It is not our culture. It is not our works. It is not keeping all these particular requirements. But we fall upon the grace of God. We let that grace be extended to others. And so, on the foundation of God's word that we align with, we can listen to the experience of others and listen in love and compassion. And then we can make sacrifices. We can give up things that, that are not part of God's word, that are just our cultural ideas and the things that we like best for the sake of unity among the body. And then what comes from that? What happens when they go, when they bring this letter up to Antioch? And the Gentiles could hear this and be like, dude, we shouldn't have to do those things. The Jews could hear it be like, come on, let them be circumcised. But instead they show their commitment to the unity of the body. And they rejoice at the encouragement. And that is the outcome. That is the hope, the vision, the glory for us. That as we seek God first, as we align ourselves to him, as we rely on his grace and extend it to others, then we find joy and unity together. Even in the midst of sacrifice and discomfort, we can find the unity and joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love to us. We thank you for this model of unity in the early church. This decision-making by the apostles and elders who listened to the experiences, who relied on your word, who relied on your spirit. We pray that you would give the same hearts to us, that we would seek the unity of our little church here, of our resurrection community, and the unity of the larger body, the greater church that we are all part of, one body in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.